0: You're listening to The Epic Mentors, Exceptional Success, Simplify. Here are your hosts, Dr. Kelly Posen and Dr. Manjeet Gaba.
1: We're here, Epic Mentors, Raw Call, Episode 2. Now, Episode 1 saw uh, myself, this is Dr. Gaba here, Dr. Manjeet Gaba, uh, being interviewed by Dr. Kelly Polzin, and he had a chance to uh, investigate, to explore what uh, what was going on. And you did a uh, fantastic job, I might add. Dr. Kelly, because even uh, my kids were listening to the call and wondering, hey, <laughs> hey. I didn't know this about you. <laughs> my kids listened to it too. They were very impressed. They're quite enamored by you now, so clearly you did a good job. Well, you know what? Um, uh, frankly, I don't even care. Because now, the, if I had to go through that, it was because I got a chance to expose you to the world and, uh, and, and see what's hiding behind uh, Dr. Kelly. All right. So you go by Dr. Kelly, and you. and you don't. Your, your full name is Kelly Polzen, mm-hmm. but you go by Dr. Kelly. Any particular reason why you prefer Dr. Kelly or Dr. Kelly Polzin or Dr. Polzin?
0: Um, I I I do. I I used to go when I first graduated. I was Dr. Polzin. right? All all the time, Dr. Polzin, Dr. Polzin. and I um. For me, it just felt like there was a, a disconnect between that and my patients. I mean, I like... Obviously, it's important for my patients to know that there's a doctor present. But I, I don't have... Um, I don't have an ego around education. And and I, I like things to be way more fun than serious. So I found in my practice that Dr. Kelly just eases people. Everybody... Like, it's just, like, there's a different level of connection I got with my patients as Dr. Kelly over Dr. Polzin. Oh, would you? Because I've had tons of patients ask me, would you prefer I call you Dr. Polzin? And I'm like, no, no, I'm good. I'm I'm just, I'm just Dr. Kelly. That's all I am. I'm just here as, like, uh, you know, assistant in your, in your healing or your health. And I, I don't know. I, um, I have had lots of people, because I have, uh. I have more than like one degree, and I just my to me it's like just a something that yeah, it's a process. I don't have an ego around the education, and I feel like as Doctor Polzin, it was very formalized, and it was it was too much ego for me.
1: Funny you should say that because uh, you know when we first met, you know we you know in the last call. We had, a, we had shared how we met. We met through uh, our Scotch Club. Uh, and, uh, you know, I know you guys can't uh, see this, the benefit of a podcast, but right now this raw call is truly raw because uh, we're having this uh, a, and we're enjoying some Lagavulin, 16-year-old. Our sponsor. Our sponsor, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the single malt of choice or any, like the drink of our choice, right? Absolutely. In those discussions in this in the scotch mastermind group that we had and over the chance that i've uh, been you know uh, i've benefited from your friendship a fair deal you've used this phrase the ego is the enemy so there's something about ego so before we get to what that is what
0: what is ego to you uh well before we take one step <laughs> further, I would like to say that Ryan Holiday actually wrote a book, The Ego is the Enemy. Right. But before that book ever was published, that was my view, is that there was uh, this this ego thing that people got hung up on, and it would prevent them from being connected. So I I have always observed that, uh, the, sorry, the question is, what is What is ego? Yeah, it's, it's, in
1: it's, your world, because, you know, the best thing to do is to know your enemy, mm-hmm, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and you've used the phrase, I know Ryan Holiday wrote the book. And yeah. for those of you listening, I'm assuming you recommend the book. The book is awesome. Okay, the book I, is... I love
0: Ryan Holiday. I've read all of his stuff. It's all really... it's yeah, If you've w- followed him as a writer, he's like transformative himself. He's totally transformed himself from where he was to where he is. Uh, you know I mean and and one of his beliefs also is that ego is one of the things that holds you up from who you truly are inside
1: right it it probably stops a lot of things so we're gonna talk a little bit about that perhaps today and perhaps then on another podcast if you guys request so on our epic mentors uh, website or email us um, so let's start with what we can get through today all right and which is when you hear ego what is this enemy like what is ego
0: for for me and what I've experienced personally and what I've seen is ego is that thing that holds you up from being authentic ego is the thing that you have attached to the, what you believe you should have achieved or those things that those, those trophies those plaques whatever that you hold up on the wall that allow you to puff up that allow you to you know uh, hold your chest high hold your head high for some people but every time you do that, there's a balancing force in the universe that will bring you back down to where you're real, who you really are. Mm-hmm. And ego is the enemy is like, when you have so many of these plaques and trophies and awards on the wall, that you begin thinking that those are who you really are. And, and those are, for me, so insignificant. I mean, it's a moment in time where, you know, it just, it takes away from who you are as a person to me because you're not allowed to be authentic anymore so
1: when you when you describe this uh it sounds to me like what you're saying is that an ego is a is, is not real it's a projection and an inflated one is that
0: an ego is 100% uh an inflated in an inflated projection uh because again when you puff that up and you're only looking at this like imaginary thing it disconnects you from the rest of the reality from the rest of the people that you're actually doing this for in particular as a chiropractor like it, it's one thing if you're solely in the business world uh and you your relationships are, are not as important to you uh, I mean I've dealt with lots of lawyers and and honestly you know that that is for me, one a really good example of somebody with, uh, in my experiences so far, and I haven't. I'm sure there's many lawyers out there that are not this way, but there's this insane ego. Well, I'm a lawyer, right? And they are, don't care so much about the personal relationships. They're only interested in you know the billing by the minute or however it ends up going for them. And I remember in school, I was taught my very first day in school. I was taught by the anatomy teacher why, as a doctor, you learn Latin. Were you taught this? Please share. Why do you learn Latin as a doctor? So he says to me, uh, or he says to the class, he goes, Remember, when you're dealing with your patients, always use the Latin terms. And he says, Now, some of you may be asking why. Well, let me tell you why. Because you're a freaking doctor, and you need your patients to know you're smarter than them. And I mean, at the time, it was like, you know, my very first week of school, right? I was like, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm always going to use the biggest, longest term I possibly can so that they know I'm smarter than them. And in a very short period of time while in practice, it it disconnects you again from the relationship with your patient. The relationship with your patients, they want to know that you're human. They want to know that you're in that with them, that you're there for them, not for your own ego. So I know that you and I have had multiple conversations on on dealing with doctors and doctors' egos. And for me, it's incredibly frustrating. Uh, It's frustrating when I see it in myself, but it's frustrating too when I see it in you because you are like an incredibly amazing doctor and you don't carry ego. So then I look at these other people that you know, are coming to you for advice and saying, you know, oh, Dr. Gaba, how do I do this? How do I do that? How do I do this? How do I do that? But they bring these big, huge egos with them. Well, I'm a doctor. So, you know, I have the, all of these rights and privileges and I know all of this stuff. Speak Latin. <laughs> I speak Latin, right? <laughs> and so, yeah, no, I, that, that's, my, uh, that's my own personal thing that like for me, uh, when I see ego and it's really present, I generally retract from it.
1: I'll tell you, uh, one of the things that uh, when you came in, and even when you've covered on my shifts and things like that, they've just been raving about you. They're just like, oh, this Dr. Kelly, this Dr. Kelly, this Dr. Kelly. And the reason why I mentioned ego is because I'm sure that there's doctors, there's practitioners, there's uh, thousands of people listening right now uh, at their own time on these podcasts. That's so beautiful is they're thinking what leads to the thought. When someone thinks ego is the enemy, what do you get as a result? And I'm gonna share that with them. uh, And and I'm gonna explore this with you is because you are the king of rapport. And that's what comes out when you understand to put your ego aside. So in the background, now I'm going to go to, you were a teacher, were you not? So go over your educational background because there is an element that goes there, right? What, 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 what are you educated as? Cause do, were you a teacher? Are you a chiropractor? Do you have a plumbing degree? I don't know. What do you, what do you got?
0: First of all, thank you very much. Uh, I, I, I have observed you in your, uh, native background and, you, I, I, I will one day achieve to be as as good at rapport as you are. You connect to people on a level that I still aspire to, but um, I think you do it innately, whereas I do it. Uh, I, 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 have to actually think while I do it. And, well, and that's you because just, I have yeah. no brain. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so yes, no. Um, so my uh my education started in business actually. So in, um, I got a double major in finance and marketing, and the reason I did that is I was way better at marketing, but it, I, I, I akin marketing to like a phys ed degree in business, right? I was like, oh, oh, all the dummies go into that class, right? I did not have the foresight to see the power of marketing while I was in business school. So when I graduated, I graduated with my primary. I mean, although it was a, like a double major, my primary focus was all in finance. I was like, only that's where the money is. It's all in finance. You know, the, it's the, the, the slower kids that they can't figure out all the numbers that go into marketing. So when I graduated, I went right into uh, kind of like oil field consulting and things like that because there was way more money in that. And I, oh my God, I hated it. I don't remember anything I've ever hated more in my life when I graduated than working in oil field work. (laughs) As a consultant, I wasn't doing like rig work. I was just as a consultant. You were just consulting in oil fields. Totally, right? Like just absolutely just driving around, drinking coffee, talking to people. And I hated every second. I hated the job. I hated what I felt like I was selling myself out. I mean, the money was good. Okay, so their money was good. Yep. But the rest of it was very short. And I did not last long before I started really being desperate for a different life. Okay, and, and so in that desperation, uh, I started volunteering my time, and I was volunteering with um, Big Brothers, because now I found it was the only time that I was actually feeling fulfilled is when I was giving to people, when okay. I was contributing.
1: All right, well, time out. Sorry. So if those if, if those of you who are listening right now are already seeing some traits that people do. Uh, leadership leaders do is volunteer so if you're not a volunteer right now if you're not giving and you're not exploring you're
0: missing out am I right oh I that that is a whole nother what, what that volunteer experience took me into like through my journey of life yeah you know, is a whole other story I ended up actually uh, fostering a child from that one experience so it was tell, a tell me about the child
1: what what okay so you're volunteering
0: Big Brothers cuz I don't know this about you.
1: Like yeah. this is a raw call. <laughs> I I don't know that you volunteered.
0: Yeah. Do I? No. 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 I I I don't know it was a you said Big Brothers? Well, it was the Big Brother program in Catholic Social Services, yeah.
1: In Catholic Social Services and
0: Mhm. And and so I had um I had a child that uh, a, a young um, adolescent who struggled. I mean, I mean, the history of some of these kids is like beyond beyond what people can really comprehend when you start reading a file on what some of these people, some of these kids have been through. If you're not giving your time, holy, oh, you you, like you, you just need to because uh, these these are people in serious need. They haven't had love, they haven't had connection with people. And what we have to offer is profound. So I was, uh, I did this for several years and I got a very good rapport with a child who had a lot of behavior disorders. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, uh, remember I was, I had a business degree in marketing and finance and all of a sudden I'm in the social services world Yeah, and they're saying, well, can can you help this other child? And I'm like, uh oh, I guess so. I, I'm sure. So they asked me to work with him like full time. He was, uh, he. He had a form of of autism, Uh, and he had actually, when when he came in and I started working with him, he had 12 different mental health diagnoses. And so they really had no idea what was wrong with him. They just threw him in a box and said, well, you know what, maybe it's Asperger's, but really we have no clue. So they said, you know, can you take this kid? I mean, if you don't take him, we're going to hospitalize him. And I was like, uh, sure, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know what's going to, I just, I'll be there for him. I'll do what I can. And so that experience transformed my life. It, uh, he, I was able to prevent him from being hospitalized just by being with him, just by, uh, able, by uh, connecting with him on a level that made sense in his brain. That's funny that I say that because you say that all the time, getting their own conversation. And that's completely 100% the only way that I was able to do what I was able to do with him. So, yeah, he had severe mental health. And I was with him literally from the time he got up to the time he went through to school in public school still, uh, although it was in a behavior disorder classroom, it was in public school. And till the time we took him home and, and I, you know, would then do a, a transition or a handoff to his, uh, his other caregivers in the evening on this is the kind of what I what, this is how his day went. This is how I'd like him to be cared for. This is the things we need to be concerned about, you know, and I'll be there tomorrow morning for him.
1: And how was your personal life during that time? Were you like, what, what the heck am I doing? How, you know?
0: I, I mean, my world is spinning. Yeah. So I come from an oil field background where yeah, I'm making yeah. like. You know, major major major, major money yeah to basically it's a volunteer position I mean uh, at that point I you know they were asking me to come on staff but in a social service they uh, can't afford you right they right so it's you know it's a very uh, different you know world and you're not doing that anymore for the money you're doing that because there's something else calling you for it right so that's why I did that and then through that experience Ended up actually becoming a teacher because so I. So
1: from finance and marketing, you decided to become a teacher.
0: Correct. Okay. I so became.
1: you you became a teacher like how like you went you, you said back to I'm, school you went back, back to, back to school. school
0: yeah did another uh, after degree program okay uh, in in education. And it's because I actually, and I had a job before I even started school. They asked me immediately, if you go back, we'll hire you like right now to take and manage the whole program. And you said, Uh, I'm going. I said, okay, I can do that, right? So then I went back to school and I started through the program. I was just finishing the program. And then I got a call from the social service agency saying this child is over our age limit. We don't know what to do with him do you have any idea what we should do with him? And I was like, holy crap. So then my wife and I decided we would foster him. So we took him in as a foster child and he lived with us for four more years. Yeah. And uh, a worthwhile experience? You know, that's so interesting that you say that because um, actually very, very worthwhile and At the time when he turned 18 um i had i had unrealistic expectations for the situation because somehow i thought that he was going to be completely normal at the end of the experience and although it totally changed his life and he was able to transition into a situation where um, he had some really great care providers that he ended up living with that you know have continued to nurture him on and he never ended up actually being hospitalized so to me it was like a, a huge win across the board retrospectively at the time i thought that that must have been a failure i i put that in my own head as it was a failure so you know i i had i had some personal therapy work to do to get through that one
1: right so when you when you feel like you've got
0: failure because
1: i've perceived failure you perceive failure i don't think the person that exists on the planet doesn't know what failure feels like and we talk about failure as an integral part of many things and what was your take on failure then what was your take on failure 20 years ago what's your take on failure now so what i'm talking about is just a like just for the sake of clarity yeah let's go you know Twenty years ago, ten years ago, now.
0: Got it. So, twenty years ago, you know what's funny is I uh, again, you know, few there's a few fundamental beliefs I, I latched on to this saying that I have incredibly strong convictions bound by incredibly weakly held beliefs, and pause, incredibly strong convictions, right bound by very weakly held beliefs okay so is that saying
1: that there's an idealistic kind of tone to things and sometimes you have to sort of balance that is that what i'm like when when i try to process this i'm curious (laughs) what should i hear because these you know i know you and i I mean we could talk about the quotes that you know verbatim Uh but what should i be hearing when i hear that
0: you should be hearing that every one of us is on a journey okay every one of us on the planet is on a journey mm-hmm. and at whatever point that I'm in in my life I'm committed to that point point. and as I learn and as I grow and as I develop my beliefs about things for example failure right. as they change and as they manifest into new options and new opportunities that then is what I'm 100% committed to yeah so I I've found like that particular thing to be really really embracive of me like just it summarizes me because whatever I'm into I'm 100% committed to it and yeah. it doesn't over serves me anymore If when it once I've grown I've learned enough and it no longer serves me yeah then I move on I don't hold on to it forever it's not like I say oh my god I believe that one time and so therefore I must maintain that belief forever that's just I I don't find that as serving me at all. I find it serves me to be committed to what I believe today with the full knowledge that tomorrow those beliefs may change.
1: See, I wanted you to to describe that quote because very few people give themselves that latitude, right? You give yourself latitude, but you show 100%
0: commitment to your truth that, that day. 100%. 100%, Exact one hundred percent. Well, you summarize it way better than I. Do? Yes. No, no, no. no. We're, yeah, we're, I, I agree one hundred percent. Like you're that is want, your you're truth. You're in. Yeah. you're in.
1: That that is the truth, and you're you're gonna play it that way that way, yep. right? That day that way. You bet. Right. So, we were talking about failure. Mm-hmm. So twenty years ago, what did failure mean to you then? Ten, like and I'm not sure if you can even do this oh I can I have oh, I, 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 I a feeling cause <laughs> very you know I, I have seen uh, I've, I've met many many successful people in many areas of life that are geniuses in their own right and I can tell you that you've got a very astute understanding of who you were what you've changed and you've been a student of your own life. And if the people are listening, that's a very powerful trait to have is successful people study their life.
0: I, I 100% agree and believe that statement to be true because otherwise you just do the same stupid shit over and over again. And I myself am not willing to do that. No, I mean, I, yeah. I
1: look at you. I mean, just in the last month, you, you're looking fitter and you've changed some ways about you. And, you know, there was a slight modification of beliefs and congratulations on that. <laughs> so talk to me about 20 years ago. What did failure mean then? And did you ever fail then?
0: Well, you know, so failure is a, is a wonderful word. And I have had an intimate relationship with that word from like... I mean, I remember the very first time I had failure was grade three. Grade three, I had my first failure when I got uh, labelized in that I was a special needs uh, learning. You were? (laughs) Yes. I don't buy that one bit. (laughs) I was. was. Dr. Polzin? I was. Dr. Kelly? (laughs) (laughs) I I had a, a learning disability, apparently, in grade three. And I got... Uh, It's funny that we're talking about this right now because I just had told my kids about this literally uh, last night. Last night I was talking with my kids about, you know, school and how important it is to be able to take situations and make them such that they empower you rather than disempower you. And make sure that you always find the benefit in that situation. And so in grade three, I got taken out of my regular classroom to go into special class.
1: Mm Mm-hmm
0: for my learning disability and I remember thinking that I would, this is not acceptable to me. I would not allow this to continue in my life. I must do whatever it takes to stop this from happening because I'm that guy that really likes to be happy. I don't like to be sad. I don't like to be stewing in things. So I move towards happiness and for me, happiness is not having to go to special class. So, I just, uh, I mean, even at that age, I said, "Okay, what do I need to do to get out of here? <laughs> because whatever I need to do to get out of this situation, I'm gonna do." And really, that that was my very first experience with, you know, that feeling of being a failure.
1: And so the feeling of uh, the feeling of being a failure was to, to to get yourself out of it, but.
0: Well, the feeling of being a failure is. During class, to say, okay, now regular class, we're gonna do this, and Kelly, you need to go now to special class because you can't be in here with the rest of the kids. Right. Because and you wanted to change it. I had I, there was yeah. I mean there wasn't. So right. why why
1: didn't you think that it was just terminal? Why didn't you think that failure was just a a you know a statement with a full stop and a period or whatever you know people in the world listening to it call it? Because I know that in Europe or in, I mean in India for sure. An end of the sentence, that black dot that sits at the bottom yes, is called a full stop. Yes. Whereas that black dot sitting in North America is called a period. Right. Why didn't you just say, I'm a failure, period. I'm a failure, full stop. And that's where I'm going to stay. You decided somewhere that
0: you could change that. I did. I did. And I think how dare you i don't know how dare i i don't i i honestly i my um i it's i mean my parents would always just talk about options right that you could do anything but it was like this huge open ended statement that was almost too big right where you really i couldn't focus on that but i just remember thinking that i as a i who i am am unwilling to accept this situation so your parents thought that you were not a failure. My parents thought I was not a failure at all. They thought I was a wonderful person. Right. And you know. Uh, but the school thought you were a failure. The school labeled me as a failure. And I was not able to keep up with normal class, normal kids.
1: So was it a mistake that you became a teacher at one point?
0: No, no, I, I, I love teaching I love teaching. I love seeing kids, people, it doesn't matter who you're teaching, but to see an option that wasn't there moments ago when you're speaking with someone and all of a sudden a new option is present. Right. That to me it takes teaching it's one thing to me to tell you a concept. Concepts are easily, you know, regurgitated. Right. Presenting options. Showing light where there was no light, Mm -hmm. that's teaching. Showing light where there was no light. Yeah. Right? That's teaching. Yes. That's teaching. That's teaching.
1: Where, so that was, that was 20 years ago.
0: Oh my God. That That was was grade three. That was grade three. And we're going to assume that you're
1: only 30. (laughs) Right. Thank you. And so that was the time when you knew that, okay, this is failure and this is odd anything changed how how has this definition of failure evolved has it changed in any which way has it stayed like were you as um uh, you know knowledgeable as uh, enlightened about failure the whole way through
0: no no i um what okay so interesting so grade three is where i first experienced this right and what i got was what i needed to do just to get out of that situation yeah. yeah. Right. So I needed to do X number of things to get out of that situation. And once I got out of that situation, I was, you know, quite happy just coasting along. Yeah. So I re- learned really quick that I could be this comfortable zone and coast along through life quite easily until I made it out of high school and into university where I got myself into a a graduate or or a transfer program actually where if I didn't get honors in the transfer program, the transfer program ended in two years and you got nothing. You got no diploma, you got no degree, you got nothing. So I had to go from barely getting into community college with a 62 average out of high school to an honor student in two years. And I met a person who gave me an option or presented light where there was previously darkness. And that lady, if I ever I've actually gone back to school to try to find her. What was her name? Uh, honestly, I don't even know her name. I know she was the English teacher uh, in English 101 in the University of Concordia. If you know who she is, uh, and that would have been in uh, the in 1990 is where she when she taught there, she changed my entire life. The English
1: teacher in Concordia? Yes. Okay.
0: So that woman I've actually gone out to try to look for, right. and I haven't been able to find her, but she... What,
1: what did she do that was so phenomenal?
0: So she was an English teacher, and I barely made it through English through high school and stuff. And I submitted my first uh, paper to her, and she gave me a, a D-plus or an F, uh, whatever, a D-plus, what it is, And just so me in this note that said, come see me after class. And I, you know, I was like, whatever, I always get these marks. This is my, my, you know, standard mark, but it's going to make it really tough to get honors. Right. So I went to see her after and she said, you have amazing ideas. I only want to help you recraft them so that they flow better. And if you do what I ask you to do, imagine you're going to be amazed what your year-end grade's going to be. So I went and I, I went and I spent time with her after class all the time figuring out what she wanted, how to write, how to craft. And my last, I, I ended up, my very last report that I handed and got back, I got a 93 on, which was the highest mark I'd ever got. And then I ended up moving on through there, got honors, went to the University of Alberta, faculty of business, graduated honors there. And that was like, where if there's a first person who ever believed that I was smart enough that I could do this. I
1: always think that there is... You know the, the key to being a teacher, the key to being a healer, uh, key to being a doctor, key to being anything is to believe in something greater than what the person that sits in front of you is
0: like. Would you agree? Oh my God, so much so because often the times that I've experienced in this in, in any in actually it wouldn't even matter whether it was a teacher or this profession as a healer the ability to see the light while you're in darkness and allow that person just to just see the best in that person because often that person that you're dealing with or it could be a group of people they don't see it all they see is the darkness so
1: how come you articulated so beautifully because i've seen you on youtube videos i've seen you uh, just generally promoting the brand so many times. Uh, even your own uh, ventures, like you run a marketing company, you run all these things. And when I, when I see you, you it's in front of the camera, and then you start to articulate away, right? And you say, "Hey, this is Dr. Kelly, and, and this is what we're gonna do, and all that stuff." So in the background, there, you know, it it appears that it comes naturally to you. And I know better. Uh, okay. So what are the, the, the rituals, the routines that you stay connected to? Because, you know, to see something that's bigger than the person in front of you, you need to be connected to something that's bigger than you. Yeah. So what are, what are the rituals like? What are the routines like? What How do you say, um, what fuels you? Oh, wow. Those are a lot of questions.
0: They're, they're the uh, same question.
1: Well, what is your, well, we can start with simple. Like, All right. well, I can start with two possible questions here. All okay. Right. One start I, with the easier one. Well, I'm going to, it's your choice. All right. Okay. So one is, is if, if you were looking back, what would you
0: define as a successful life? Right. Or, what is your why what oh, do you want to see in this world what is my why so what do i want to hear at my funeral my well why? maybe uh, Or, or you can just say hey this is
1: this is why i do things like if you were going to say you know i became this or i pursue this this is why i pursue it because the mm-hmm. why is really interesting to me for everybody
0: well <clears throat> My, um, I, I have two, two wives, and whichever one at the moment that I find to be more empowering, whatever that gives me a clearer vision, which often falls back to my kids, is what really drives me. Because prior to having my my uh, my three amazing kids, I I was here to make the largest impact that i possibly could in the world i don't need to change the world the world is amazing on its own i just need to be part of the impact on that world i need to make sure that i'm touching lives that i'm giving sparks that there's light where there was darkness and oftentimes that made it really difficult because I didn't know which direction I was going in. I just knew that whatever direction I was going, I was going. I was not dragging my feet. I was, I'm, I'm in. I'm doing it. I'm 100% committed at it while I'm doing it. There's no, there's no external forces going on there. And then I had these kids. These damn kids that are amazing to me. They are truly the joys in my life. And then I heard this really interesting word called legacy. And I look at my kids and all I see is potential. All I see is like, I think it's the same thing that my parents must have saw when they looked at me. It's like, you are a really amazing individual. You could do anything in the world with your life. And I get it now. But with my kids, I want them to have a legacy. I want them to have an option to pick up a torch that I have carried and carried and carried and lit many ways and now I wanna pass that torch on to one or all of them to give them the fuel to keep carrying the torch. So two things that are driving me is the, the legacy for my kids and the desire to give light to people where there was darkness
1: so when you if that's the why and that's the 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 purpose right and and there is an ego that serves as the the enemy right yeah and you've got you know we've got the king of rapport
0: right here in front of me
1: when you're trying to balance all of this, at the ultimate end of it, you're trying to
0: connect the dots. Absolutely. That's a perfect summary. I'm trying to connect the dots.
1: Right. What do you struggle with the most?
0: Oh, dear God. Seriously, what do I struggle with the most?
1: And, and there's a question in the background is, well, let's start with that.
0: Ooh, that's a really personal question. Um,
1: well, I didn't want to ask that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh wow, I struggle with the most is um, battling my own self-talk, battling loving loving myself for who I am. That it yeah, that wow, I can't believe I just said that, but that's truly what it is. Loving, truly loving myself for who I am would be my, my biggest demon.
1: When did you recognize that this was your biggest demon?
0: I... It it probably, um, very recently that... You know because those those demons are things you like to keep locked away right and again it's only through that self-exploration that you really find out a you know who you are and then as you still to really delve into there find out you know what your biggest battles are so was it was it loving yourself
1: as a special needs kid Is it, I mean, is that when you recognize you have a hard time loving yourself at that time? Was it, when was it that you said, hey, I, I don't really love myself enough?
0: I think I have no, I recognize that about myself for years and years. And it has been an ongoing process to, love myself more that's it's not it's not something that you just turn off it's uh, it's more like management right now today today tomorrow might be able to turn it off right today it's management style so it's more uh, cognition and management that this is you know that whatever I'm doing is perfect and I'm doing it for a reason yeah. So, you know, honestly, it's probably fairly recent that I've been able to give myself like some, some props, some, some that, I, that you know, I'm, that, that I'm, you're okay, that, that I'm okay, that I'm okay.
1: Right. So is, is one of them, one of the ways that you've recently been able to say that you're okay is by changing the way you see failure or changing uh, you know like where were you able to dissolve some of the guilt because if you if someone doesn't love themselves enough they're invariably thinking they did or they acted wrongly correct
0: so where i have probably um grown the most with regards to that is just knowing that this the The life that I have lived and everything that's happened, good and bad, have all been for the benefit of me and everyone involved so whether that child <coughs> excuse me um, was cured or not cured uh is immaterial because both of us grew beneficially in, in, through that relationship you know it, it it's it's that belief, that um, that ability to self-examine those events that, you know, at one point you don't look at as, you know... I mean, so probably another huge, massive uh, guilt or failure that, you know, I had to process through was uh divorce of my high school uh, sweetheart, my high school girlfriend, that we were together for literally, like, since grade seven Mm -hmm. and that i internalized as a massive failure in my life like as in one of those failures that i mean holy crap the guilt that i carried with that from what i did to my kids and what happened with my kids and how badly they were gonna you know like oh my gosh like it was like ridiculous the conversations and the ability that we can do to beat ourselves up in a situation like that Because this
1: happens in practice as well for chiropractors and and people listening, right? Is whenever they get, how they deal with rejection.
0: Oh my, yes. Yeah, sure. I mean, strangely, I've never actually, in in practice, in practice, um, to me, my rejection happens is simply as, you know, because I feel like I really want people, I truly want what's best for people, right? Yes. And so whether they become a patient or not is totally fine with me. But I've had patients that, you know, uh, because every you can't service everyone in every facet of their life. And you have to realize that sometimes there's going to be people that aren't happy with you, even though you're doing your best to serve them. That whatever conversation they have going on, whatever they're going through you know, you may be a button for them. You may be, maybe you weren't 100% as present as you should have been in that moment. Maybe you didn't read it properly, right? There's a multitude of different reasons as to how that can happen. But when a patient's unhappy with your care, that to me was like the worst type of rejection. Not that they decided not to go in your care, but they did decide and then they were unhappy with your care. Wow, devastating, right? Particularly when you feel like you're there giving all the time
1: so when when you were able to realize that rejection from a patient was relatively minor compared to a rejection from a high school sweetheart did that ease the fear like knowing that if the patient can survive it and it's in their best interest to leave the office at this time was is that how like did that help you in any which way are they connected in your world rejection from one versus the other
0: Uh, I, I think, I think I I don't even see it as like, I don't look at it as rejection and I certainly, I don't see it as that. I don't have that huge negative charge to a failure anymore, which greatly changes life. Right. So that's so 20 years
1: ago, failure happened, rejection happens. It's like, it's pretty intense.
0: Yeah. So I guess to summarize that 20 years ago, Failure is a label. Failure is a UR. Okay. Right? And if you can understand as a label, to walk to walk out of any situation, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a, uh, a um, an R a report of findings, whether it's, you know, any kind of a you know sports or in any area of your life when you walk out of it with a U R A, now you've labeled the situation. You've labeled you. And to label you changes you. And so I don't have, like, I've had a lot of labels that I was self-imposed. Yeah, well, or or imposed outside, like special needs. Special needs, you betcha. So the beauty of, of life now is that the beliefs that I have and the convictions I have towards those beliefs, as strong as they are, are far more empowering about no more labels. I mean, there's no more labels at all, particularly when you believe that whatever that situation is, is only serving you. It's serving you and it's serving you 100% from the, it's very foundationally serving you. And I know that a lot of people will struggle with that initially when you hear it, because it's like almost contradictory to what you've been taught. But to be served by a situation and to find the benefits in that situation are the difference between you know, waking up with a smile on your face, or waking up with a label, thinking that you are a failure, you are a million a fatty, you are whatever label you put on yourself. Oh my God, you've got to get rid of your labels.
1: So, you know, one of the things we talk about in the Epic Mentors program is um, talking about how to talk with patients and how to avoid a few things. And I I love how what the conversation started was you said that, you know, we talked about, what was the, what was the quote again? Was it, uh, you know, that you were mentioning where we, we sort of paraphrases as the truth that day, you're going to follow it for today. Cause you know that that's you're hundred percent committed to.
0: Yeah. i well, so my, my thing that I play that, that is prevalent for me is that I have incredibly strong convictions to weekly held beliefs,
1: right? Incredibly you know, strong, strong convictions to weekly held beliefs. Right. Yeah. And so that's very similar to what you're just talking about is before they were very weakly like held convictions, convictions to strong, to strongly held beliefs you held betcha. beliefs right because you, you weren't you weren't sure you weren't like hey i i don't have a conviction on whether i'm a failure or not but even if it's weak i'm going to hold on to it
0: absolutely because it's all you were taught right right i mean our society in north america binds you to those things they love labels everybody has to have a label I'm an alcoholic, I'm a diabetic, I'm an obese, I'm a cardiovascular heart disease patient. I'm on and on and on and on and on and on and on, on, but nobody ever accepts you for a person. Right. And and with an allowance to change. With an allowance to change. The alcoholism is a beautiful one. Once an alcoholic, always alcoholic.
1: What the heck is that? What the heck is that?
0: You know, you're a diabetic. Oh my God. Seriously. (laughs) right? I mean, you're a heart patient, you're a heart patient. There's so many we love to label and your mental ways. health patient, your
1: special needs. So that is that is wonderful. So, so, so there is in the background, your you know, the story that you're trying to, to sort of foster is that change is something that can be manifested And change is something that should be encouraged and change is something that you want to bow to.
0: I honor change. And I hear so many times people like, I don't like change, but then they don't like themselves. How do you change that? (laughs) Right? If If you don't, if you don't, you know, love yourself and you don't love change you're in trouble right you need to love both of those things all the time because life is change life is always moving i i never want to be that person that's stuck in a rut and i you know it's i love that definition of a rut because really all it is is a grave with the ends kicked out (laughs) right so if you're in a rut you're you're already six feet under right you're in that thing you're in like i'm not that guy i can't be that guy that's stuck in that hole i gotta be loving change because that's how you get out and then always constantly working on creating a better relationship with yourself
1: Oh, no, you're an extremely I, I mean when people meet you when people hear you you we know you're extremely dynamic like uh, you know that that flows in your veins because you've been able to take yourself out of Special needs, if that's what it took, or take yourself out of bad grades to honors. Take yourself out of a finance degree to a teacher. Take yourself out of a teacher to a chiropractor, and and now change yourself from a chiropractor to a healer, and perhaps an educator, and and you know so many other things where you're just now a soul just enjoying the journey, right? Enjoying the ride, and so. Usually we end our raw calls because I don't even know what where we're at with our <laughs> time know. allowance. Um,
0: I don't have a clue either here. Yeah,
1: so uh, you know, uh, usually we end our raw calls with a few questions, which you have started uh, the tradition with all of one call. But here it is. Uh-huh. Uh Ever come across like a quote that you you sort of stick to that you enjoy? And you don't uh, have to... Uh, well, no,
0: I, I still... I hold strong to uh, Ryan Holiday's. The obstacle is the way. The obstacle is the way. Right. So, where you are avoiding going, you must go.
1: Okay. Where you're avoiding going, you must go. All right. So, uh, that was uh, taken... Uh, Marcus Aurelius. Marcus, Marcus Aurelius. Aurelius, right? And And uh, so, that's one thing I wanted to ask you. Second thing is is favorite. It's t- really tough. I know you're an avid reader, but what are you reading these days? And what's your favorite book?
0: I still, I still love 48 laws of power, right? Um, mastery is, uh, a, an awesome read as well. Uh, any newer stuff by Ryan holiday has been inspirational. Uh, I, I probably, I, 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 get, I, I bought, uh, eight books yesterday. Um, I'm really a huge fan of uh, John Martini. Yeah. He is totally transformative in his thinking. Uh, I think I was, did I tell you this, that I was just reflecting back because I first met him in, uh, like, right before I graduated at Palmer, I met him. Yeah. And I attended his seminar and I listened to it and I was like, this guy is so esoteric. My brain hurts. I did not enjoy my experience with him. Yeah. And um, that saying that, the, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Well, he has appeared in my life and uh, greatly appreciate his work now. So I wish I would have found it earlier.
1: Well, you know what? In due time, right? Always. And uh, so that's that's phenomenal. You talked about what you struggle with. Um you don't own a TV.
0: <laughs> I do own a TV. I don't own any cable-y things. I'm not Right. Uh, you own a monitor. The, the I own a, a monitor, yes, which I uh use fairly sparingly.
1: Right. So what do you get entertained by? Like if if let's just say you you are having cuz I I know you wake up at
0: there's so many things these people don't know about this, but what time do you wake up? Uh I I went through a very large period of time where I was up at four forty four every morning. Right, and why four forty four? Because it's better than four forty
1: five. No, it's not. <laughs> why four forty four? Are you into numerology? Was not only... not at all, not at all. Because um, was... I'll tell you, like I I can understand if
0: you were. I I was into it for a while. Yeah. So no, it has nothing to do with numerology. It has to do with. Uh, Honestly, Honestly. the truth is, because it's better than 4.45, because one of my mentors wakes up at 4.45, so I had to wake up one minute earlier than he did. So you're not competitive at all. (laughs) Do you know what? If something works for someone, learn what they do. And better it? And, well,
1: (laughs) you don't have to
0: better it. You don't have to better it. You just have to do what they do and see what results it produces in your life, right? So I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss the mark.
1: Okay, so you wake up at 4.44. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. I know, because it's ridiculous. And um, and I don't. I wake up at 6.30. So, so you wake up. Mm-hmm. You don't. You have a monitor. So let's say Kelly wants to entertain himself. What do you do for entertainment? If you just want to have a laugh, you just, you know, just want to have fun. Like, and I know we're having scotch and and conversations are wonderful. Yeah. Is that what it is? Or is there anything more? I know
0: you love food. I love certain foods. I am very, uh, very tuned into foods that make me uh, feel better, stronger, faster, think better. And foods that do the opposite of that, so yeah, but you know.
1: You, you know from a, from an entertainment standpoint or from a like what are your cheats that's what I'm saying what are your cheats' Because I don't want anybody thinking that they gotta live this rigid disciplined
0: kind no, of life no of, no, right? no. You know, God, no no so no.
1: like what are what are the so, cheats
0: I have lots of cheats i what's uh, the cheat popcorn is an awesome cheat i I love <laughs> popcorn, okay. Okay, so I have a a, I I have a a ritual around popcorn. You bet that I have to make this certain popcorn that's ridiculously, incredibly awesome. Okay. Yes. So, you know, like a food cheat, popcorn, right. oh, cheesecake, that's a huge one for me, lots yeah. and tons of fat in that. You cheesecake. were enjoying
1: Creme with my wife the uh, other day. I, I was. Right. So
0: that's like a super crazy cheat, right? Yeah. You that's ate like, the whole thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It was a super crazy cheat, but it was really good.
1: Yeah. It was great. Yeah. And so, uh, so that's food. Yeah. What about information? So do you do you watch the Kardashians? Is that what it is? You go like follow like I don't know entertainment. So no, I don't, like, I, don't, well, what, I don't. What is the okay, okay,
0: okay, okay. Yeah. I don't do I don't do YouTube's yeah, much so. things. I just like when I'm in YouTube, it's just for information. I get what I need and I get out. Uh, I I I probably if I had any one, it would be Netflix. Yeah. Where I can pick exactly what I want. And so I, what do
1: you watch on Netflix? What have you seen on Netflix? This is,
0: you, you know, let's 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 truth 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 all right so uh, recently I've really enjoyed how I met your mother <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the whole thing so I still don't know how he meets his mother but or is uh, how they meet or anything like that but uh, I I gotta tell you that uh, there's some really good laughs in that I've had some great you enjoy laughs it? yeah so typically I'll just for that kind of comedy thing I I, I like I yeah so I just, you watch Netflix you bet i'll, I'll you have a netflix account if I, have, I
1: searched if i had a, if i was owner of netflix yeah, you
0: search you'd find me you'd i'd, I'd, I'd find imagine. kelly that would be i the only thing i have all i have is a netflix okay
1: and what about uh a physical cheat like do you ever i mean i don't know like you, you you've got the food part but you like the scuba dive uh there's nothing there um Family-wise, is a family member that you hate, you just pick up the phone and if they call, you're ignoring the phone call or there's people that you don't enjoy in your family or there are people like that, that you will f- purposefully like say, I am not hanging out with this person.
0: You know, I, I, I've been really fortunate in my family life. Um, even my relationship with my ex-wife is, is awesome. great. It's awesome.
1: All right. So you don't have so, an aunt, an uncle you know, anything in extended family, a friend, a social life where you're like, Oh, my God, I I, do
0: do you lie? (laughs) Do I lie? Uh, Do you lie? You know what? Okay, so I, I, I would say socially, my life has changed a lot. Socially, things are very different for me. Yeah, because as you push limits, as you grow, as you change beliefs, that you once held sometimes you'll be by yourself oh yeah and sometimes people will come with you and sometimes they won't and so my social circle is fairly small it truly is it's a small social circle but the social circle that I am in is a group of awesome individuals that
1: you're picking it I. you know what i noticed this okay so this is an important actually it's really really huge i was having dinner the other day with one of my very close friends and he actually reduced his social group to two people Mm -hmm. he goes i just can't even put my wife in there for a while because like like, it's that ridiculous
0: that's harsh
1: i know i know and just he was like this is my social group because i'm trying to rebuild it and i'm trying to stay pure To the fact that I want a certain kind of social group. So how is it possible? Is it possible for a human being to segregate himself? And how necessary is it? Because sometimes you have to.
0: I think it's crucial. I truly do. I truly do. And there's nothing wrong with it. And, you know, I mean, I have friends that truly I will talk to every six months. Yeah. And you pick up the phone and you know that guy. So, you know, I always had to think when I when I first understood, I had cognitive thought is to understand the difference between a friend and an acquaintance. I drew the <laughs> line. I drew a line. Alright? Yeah. So this is the line I drew. I drew the line saying, You are a friend to me. If I knew when I go to Turkey and I get in trouble, because invariably when I go places I get in trouble. When I go there and I get in trouble and I'm in prison, if, if I can pick up the phone and phone you and know that if I have one call, yep. I could phone you and I can hang up the phone and say, I'm going to be okay. Yep. He will do or she will do whatever it takes to get me out of this situation. Yep. Now you're a friend. Right. But what if that friend thought that, oh, this is going to benefit Kelly?
1: This is a perfect situation. I'm sure he'll benefit from being in a Turkish prison for several years. Just don't call Martini. John, (laughs) if you're listening. F Y I, calling you. Yeah, do not call John. Okay. Okay. So just saying, he will collapse. It. He'll say these benefits of Kelly (laughs) being in Turkish prison. Far exceed the benefits of getting him out. Okay. No, it's gonna serve, serve him. him. I'm not. I'm not calling him.
0: So he's an acquaintance.
1: <laughs> Just saying <laughs> All right. I can tell you. Don't call John. Got okay. it.
0: Okay. So that was when I made the distinction between a friend and an acquaintance. And since then, obviously, you can understand that your friend circle becomes smaller yeah. and smaller. And as life goes on, and more people get more and more complexities in their own personal life, you understand. Well, that guy's got a lot of stuff going on we're not going to call that guy right yeah. and so that social circle becomes uh small but it comes becomes like a coveted, the intensity yes. goes higher yes right the intensity goes higher but like it's like a coveted circle where you know you do anything yeah for that group
1: so if those of you are listening you know the law of association is huge and the law of intensity is huge And so what people do is, is the reason why people may reduce their social circle is to create intensity and, and also to initiate simplicity, right? And, and veracity, truth, right? So yeah, lots of reasons for it. So I wanted to know, you know, what your social circle was like. Mm -hmm. And the last question I have for you is I've asked you many things and we sort of, went through a kind of a rigmaround of places that you took it through. And I hope that the, the people saw that we sort of tied it all together and there was a theme to this. Absolutely. Well, I had a theme for sure. I saw that. Right. And so what do you wish I would have asked you? What do you wish that you wanted to you know, share that you didn't get a chance to share that people out there like, Hey, you know what? Uh, or you were thinking, I really want people to hear this about me apart from the fact that we barely touched on the chiropractic stuff and I'm sorry for we'll we'll do another one with you because this is
0: not enough time <laughs> no um what do I wish you would have asked about me yeah well if I had one like guilty wish right like one thing yeah that I wish was true. Yeah, but would give me like, like no like benefit to the world at all. Right. Like, okay. It would be that we were sponsored by Lagavulin. one I'm oh. just, <laughs> <laughs> So to have Lagavulin sixteen as a sponsor yes. for us, um, I don't know. I I am passionate about what I'm passionate about. Scotch is one of those things. Yeah. It's delicious. It is. I have experienced. All different kinds of scotches with all different kinds of price ranges all different kinds of flavors uh, I don't know if 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 there's a scotch guide out there that ranks the number one scotch in the world but if there was for me it'd be Lagavulin and nothing in a very superficial shallow sense would give me more pleasure than having a Lagavulin t-shirt and being sponsored by Lagavulin okay so you guys heard it for the guy that uh abhors
1: labels he would love to put the label of leg of woolen on himself and there you, go. Uh, you know what that's it's it's a fair comment uh i totally understand we totally understated your your love and passion for leg of woolen and i want to just put it on the record that that's how we connected with each other was because
0: exactly leg of woolen is what started our relationship no yep. wonder this no is a wonder pure one. This is- <laughs> It's pure, it's treasured, and it may last
1: as long as the leg of the one has been around. Right. And uh, so I want to thank everybody. Uh, thank you, Dr. Kelly, uh, oh. and your past uh, previous uh, sort of avatar, Dr. Polzin, <laughs> on, uh on sharing these insights. I really do think for everybody involved that there needs to be another call with you, maybe 10 episodes in. Uh, you know about rapport me and you need to talk about it we need to talk a little bit about like r- labels and how to help have conversations with patients as people rather than as patients and you know disempowering them there's so many things out there but this is a great start thank you and well, thank uh, you. you came out to play
0: well, thank you dr go cheers cheers
1: Okay, this is a bonus section on uh, on our podcast. Uh, uh, if you've heard the the you know the first few bits of the podcast, the first uh, I guess sixty odd minutes or more, there's a question that I wanted to ask you. That it just occurred to me while we're drinking leg of wool, and it's the same night. It's literally ten minutes after because yeah. I want to put this into context, okay. right? Yeah, and it just it came about because it's evening here and your daughter texted you and and I, it made me think about my kids and uh and I don't want to put it into context
0: but what is your biggest fear? Holy shit. Like I thought this was going to be like a fun question. I am
1: so sorry. But <laughs> that totally set me up.
0: Oh my god. Okay. So you don't are, even have to put this no, on
1: the podcast if no, you don't want to.
0: I, I already see the. But answer. it's a raw call. Is it not a raw yeah, call? That's it's a raw call. It's a beef it's, it's, Wellington
1: sushi. Kind it's, of uh, like, uh, you betcha.
0: Beef tar, steak tartare. Yeah, 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 zero cooking. So, all right, because I have spent time with myself, I know the answer to this question. Uh, my, my, biggest fear in my entire life is being insignificant. To have my time here be of no value to anyone. So, I guess that almost answers the other question about the why, when you asked me what my why was and I said I have two whys, being there's nothing in my life that would be worse than to be on my deathbed to think that I have been insignificant, so everything I do is to be in some way significant to someone.
1: Okay, I want to let you know one thing. As a friend, this is not about the people listening, and I don't even care if this gets put on. I want to let you know that just with the mere fact that I know your children, that I know what you've contributed to all the doctors that you've trained, that I know the patients that you've served, that I know the impact you've had on me, and ours you know mastermind our scotch club all of that that the last thing that you will be my friend
0: is insignificant thank you it comes with a lightness in my heart so i appreciate that Oh, I
1: I want you to know that. And I want everybody to know that if they've got a friend, if they've got a mastermind, if they've got people in their life that um, they have these type of conversations with, that's a great start. And then they're going to find out how significant they really are. Right. Because you remember the quote by BJ? Mm hmm. You never know. You never know. (laughs) You just never know how far-reaching something that you may do or say today or you know, something like that right yeah, and we'll will change the, the, the lives of millions tomorrow. tomorrow yeah and the power of an idea is what this is uh, epic mentors is all about and uh so cheers to that thank you my friend <laughs>